Praise God. Are you ready for the word? All right, aren't you thankful for the word? And we can meet freely and meet together. And I don't have to uh, tell you guys, okay, we're going to meet somewhere secret. The Holy Spirit will tell you where it is. Those that aren't listening won't make it. Okay. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to pick back up. We ended with the first part of verse 6. We're going to pick up with the second part of verse 6 and down to verse uh, 13. Let's read. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not by the letter, but by the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel cannot look steadily at the end of that which was passing. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that's already blessed, and we're going to receive it by faith today and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you that you're going to minister this and they're going to walk away hearing from you. And Lord, they're going to get exactly what they need. And only you can do this miracle and believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back to verse 6 and start unpacking. And so it says, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's going to bring out in this section, he's going to talk about the ministry of the law, the law versus grace. And so why is he bringing out the law to these Gentile Christians? Because some uh, false teachers have crept into the church, and this was the case when Paul would go somewhere, he would leave, and there would be false teachers just following along. They didn't have their own ministry. They just kept following on into someone else's ministry. That's the way people are today in false teachers is usually they want to attract other, they want to go into other people's fields, other people's ministries and draw them away. They don't have enough of their own ministry to develop something themselves. They just want to come into other people's ministries and cause division. And so Paul would be somewhere, he would minister the grace of God, plow a field, it would start producing and false teachers would come and start sowing contrary wise. And these were called the Judaizers. And these were legalists that would come in and say, yeah, Paul got you saved, but you need to advance in the things of life. You need to, to uh, become more uh, higher tiers in the Christian walk. And, and that comes with understanding the law. And you have to keep certain laws and certain ceremonies and certain rites and stuff like that. That makes you more spiritual. And that makes you a, a better Christian. And so again, these were false teachers. And so Paul's going to bring out that the Old Testament, the difference between the law and grace, you can't really compare the two. And so let's look at that. And so he, he said, made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Say new covenant. new covenant. Again, this is a powerful thought, deep thought. The new covenant is not the old covenant. They're two different ones. And so the old covenant was between God and Israel. And it was based on the performance. God would perform if they performed. 
And God gave them 613 commandments to do. And if they would do it, God then would respond. And he would bless them. He would provide uh, blessings upon them. But they didn't keep their end of the bargain. Matter of fact, they broke the very first commandment. God's, the first commandment of the ten was, don't create an image, a false image. And so they created a molten calf. And so they didn't get out of the gate and fell on their face over the first commandment. And so death started happening right from that point. Up until Mount Sinai, God was operating, they were operating under the covenant of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. And so that's a covenant of grace. And so Abraham, when God called Abraham out, he says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to, I'm going to make your name great. And, and there was no if that you have to read your Bible. Well, there was no Bible. And so there wasn't a bunch of rules and commandments. Abraham, he just had to believe. And so wherever Abraham, and God blessed Abraham not because he was so good, but because he, God was good. Because Abraham, he, was, he, he didn't have it straight from the very beginning. God says, leave your family and follow me. And what did Abraham do? He took his family. He took Lot, who became a lot of problems. But then he also took his dad, T-Raw. Sounds like a dinosaur. But he took his, his father along. And then he gets to the land of promise, and there's a famine in the land. He says, I'm out of here. And so he goes down to Egypt and tries to give his wife away to save his own neck. But God still blesses him and blesses him because it's a covenant of grace. And so God delivers Israel out of Egypt by grace. And so he brings them to the Red Sea, and they start, they start crying out in fear and, and started screaming, why couldn't they, Moses, why didn't you leave us alone? And God would open the Red Sea. They went to the other side, had a charismatic jig. With her trampoline, you know, horse and rider tossed into the sea. And then they get two or three days out, and then there's no water, and they fall apart and start yelling, screaming, yelling, and then they're mad at God, mad at Moses, they're going to kill him. And then what does God do? God just splits the rock and waters them all and blesses them. And so they're, they're just murmuring, well, we don't have any food. <laughs> we don't have any bread. And God rains pizza dough out of heaven. To be burned, you know, so they have pizza. I know they made pizza out of that. We have no meat for our pizza. We have no meat. And so God called millions of quails to fly over the camp, have a heart attack, and they all fall down. And they just had to pick them up. And so every time they would murmur, God would just bless them. But then they got to Mount Sinai, and they said, you know, God told Moses, Moses, they don't understand why I'm blessing them. They think they deserve this. So let's change this. They're going to have to keep 613 commandments for me to bless them. Moses, go down and tell them that. Moses went down, read all 613, said, will you keep this? They said, they bobble-headed Moses. Moses went back up and said, they said, they'll do it. And they said, oh, they don't understand, Moses. Go back down, read it from morning to evening, sprinkle some blood on them, and tell them that, that I'll kill them if they don't do this. They're cursed if they don't do this. All of it. Every commandment. Moses went down, read it from morning to evening, sprinkled some blood all over him, and said, will you keep this? You got any others? So he went back up the mountain, and the guy said, they'll keep it. He said, okay, we're changing the program. And then he came back down, and then all of a sudden, every time a, a sin, the same thing they did before, people started dying. And so we see this here, that it says that it's not the new covenant, but the old covenant is, is of the letter, and... Uh, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so the, the, uh, the old covenant kills. Do you know that on Mount Sinai that day, 3,000 people were killed and died that day because of the, 
of the idolatry that came forth. And it was because they accepted a new covenant. And they weren't under grace anymore. They're under this covenant, of the Mosaic covenant. And they 3,000 people died. But do you know when the church happened and, the, and God reinstalled grace back into the church? Do you know on the day of Pentecost how many people were saved? 3,000. And so the old covenant kills, but the new covenant provides life. I like the new. And the new is just the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant of grace, because he said to Abraham, to you and your seed shall all the nations be blessed. And so Jesus was the seed. He was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That's why we're operating in the blessing of Abraham. You know, Galatians chapter 3.13 says, For the law has come, cursed is him that doesn't keep the law. And Jesus took that curse, became a curse for us on the cross. 3.13, but verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. And so you guys are not even Jews, most of you. Most of you are heathen. <laughs> Saved heathen. But the blessing of Abraham's upon you. That's not just righteousness. He was righteous by grace, but he was also rich by grace. He's also healthy by grace. How do I know that? He had a kid when he was 100. And then many people don't realize he kept popping out kids after that. He remarried after Sarah died. His second marriage was to a woman named Keturah. And she had children by Abraham. And so he was blessed in his body. He was blessed. He was blessed with, he had silver and gold and donkeys. Have you have a donkey? You can still grow in prosperity if you have a donkey. Hallelujah. And so... I like the new, the new ministry. Look in 2 Corinthians 3, 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so the children of Israel could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Paul calls here the, ministry, the law a ministry of death. A ministry of death. It brings death to people that try to live in it. That brought death. As soon as Israel accepted, went, transferred covenants from the, the Abrahamic covenant, went over and said, okay, we're going to be in the Mosaic covenant now, death started happening immediately. Matter of fact, right, off the, right after the 3,000 died, the, the, that was the day of uh, um, Mount Sinai, but the next Saturday, there was a man that went out on the Sabbath, because Saturday was the Sabbath. There was a man that went out, so God said, you need to rest on the Sabbath. That was one of the laws. You don't do any work on Saturday. Did you work yesterday? You would have been stoned. Well, this guy just went out. He wasn't working at Walmart or anything. He just went out to get some, some sticks so he could warm himself and can cook his manna that he had left over. And so he was collecting some sticks. And they found him out there. They caught the guy, brought him in to Moses, said, we found this guy out collecting sticks. What do we do with him? Does he get grounded for two weeks? What do we do? Moses, I don't know. They don't seem very severe. So he went to God said, God, what do we do with this guy who just picked up a few sticks? Kill him, stone him. And so this brings out the severity that this law brings death. Because you got to keep all of it. You don't get to pick and choose the 613. You can't pick the top 10. Because I think, well, the law is just the Ten Commandments. No, no, no. There's 613, and you got to keep all of them. Because the Mosaic law is a mosaic. Ladies, have you ever had a, saw a mosaic or created a mosaic? 
Plus you have little different tiles, right? And so you put that tile in and that glue that one in and glue that tile and that tile and that tile, and then it makes a pretty picture. Well, that's the way the Mosaic Law was. It was a mosaic. And so it was made up of 613 individual commandments that made up one whole. And it actually, if you stood back and saw the 613 commandments put together, it would see the face of Jesus. But you know what? You couldn't just pick a few here, pick there. No, if you broke one, you broke all of them. James 2.10 says if you stumble at one point. If you, don't, if you keep all of them but you fell in one point, you broke all of it. And so, again, I don't, that's not the system I want to live in. And so that was the covenant they picked on. That was called a ministry of death, written and engraved on stone. Say stones. stones. So what, what part of the law was written and engraved on stones? The Ten Commandments. You know, there's a teaching out there today that says, you know what, we don't, we're not under the ceremonial law. You don't need to bring a heifer to church. I'm glad you don't bring a heifer to church because I'd have to kill it. You don't have to bring these things to church and, 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 well, you have to go to Jerusalem three times for the feasts and there's certain tithes and you have to bring your corn and grain and all this other stuff. And, and so there's so many intricate parts of the law. Well, that's the ceremonial law. We're not under the ceremonial law. That's been done away with, but no, we are under today the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments we should still have as a church, and we should preach the Ten Commandments. We should be governed by the Ten Commandments. But this verse here says, what part of the law was called the ministry of death? It says, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. That brings out that if, we're gonna, if we are going to live by a different system than the law, then we, we're not to govern our lives by the Ten Commandments. <gasps> okay, pastor, you're... I've sucked the air out of the room. So you're saying, Pastor, that it's all right to kill people. It's all right to have adultery and fornication and a lie. No, no, no. Don't be silly. I'm just saying, how can you fulfill morality, not by your efforts, but by grace? Because now we don't do it by our own energy and resources because the law put, you fulfilling the righteousness of the law was put under your own resources, your own strength, your own effort. But guess what? In the new covenant, God puts within you new resources to live by. And those are the laws of, the laws of grace, the law of faith, the law of love, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When you got saved, those got put into your spirit. You have faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in your born-again spirit. So guess what? You're to live by? That's God's resource he put within you, not the strength of your willpower. You're not to live by willpower, to live by spirit power. And so you're going to live by faith. And so when you just need, every time you sin, you don't trust Jesus. You're not trusting grace. Because the Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over you because you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. So if you're letting sin have dominion over you, you're not leaning and trusting and drawing on grace. And so God's given you faith on the inside to trust God. And then he's also put love on the inside of you. Do you know that your spirit is filled with the love of God? Romans 5.5 5 says, when you got saved, the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. What part of your heart? Your spirit. And so you're, you're full of the love of God. You're like prego. It's in there. And so you're to draw, because guess what? If you understand how much God loves you, 
and you walk in that love, will you want to kill anybody? That's all, you only want to kill people when you're in the flesh. When you have a flesh flash? You're in the flesh when you want to kill people. No, but when you're, when you're receiving the love of God for you, and you realize God hasn't killed me. Praise God. He loves me unconditionally. I'm his son. I'm loved. I don't need to covet someone else when I realize God loves me so much. He's given me everything that he has. I don't want to steal from people. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to have adultery. When I'm filled with the love of God, I have those resources to live from on the inside. Grace lifts me higher than what I could do in my own self under the law. I live holier by accident. And so it says, not by the letter, but by the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so, again, the law is called the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. It says that it was glorious. Say glorious. glorious. Why was it glorious? Well, on the Mount Sinai, there was lightning, and there was flashes of lightning, and there was thunderings, and there was fire. I mean, that was quite a, a, pyro, a pyrotechnic show up there. And then, matter of fact, when Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights getting the law, he was in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the visible member of the Godhead. And so it was Jesus he was speaking to on Mount Sinai. And so Moses was staring at the Lord Jesus Christ for 40 days and 40 nights, talking to him face to face. And just being in the presence of Jesus face to face, it changed his body. Matter of fact, it says he was up there 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't eat anything or drink anything. Now, raise your hand if you've been on a 40-day fast. There's always some spiritual people in the church that's been on a 40-day fast. Okay, no spiritual people today. They're in the second service. But many people, usually one or two people raise your hand. Yeah, I've done a 40 But I asked them, but did you go 40 days without drinking anything? No. See, this was supernatural. And he was in the presence of God, and when he came off the mountain, his face was shining. Just being in the presence of Jesus changed his molecular structure of his body and started shining. How much you think today, if we behold, kept beholding Jesus, what it would impact us, not only spiritually, but in our physical body? And so again, the law was a ministry of death, but grace is a ministry of life. And so the Ten Commandments are really, the, the law and the Ten Commandments were really for unbelievers. You know that? So the Ten Commandments, is, there's a place for the Ten Commandments. And it's out there for the world. I want you to see that. Look at 1 Timothy 1, look at verse 9. There is a place for the Ten Commandments today. Not in our New Testament govern, uh, grace-oriented churches, but also, it, but they should be out on the uh, courthouses. It should be out in the public for the unbelievers out there, because the law was for them. Look in 1 Timothy 1.9. <clears throat> Knowing this. You need to know this. This is something you need to know right here. That's why you come to church, so you can know something. Tell someone I know something. <laughs> Praise God. 1 Timothy 1.9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Raise your hand if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are a righteous person. Well, Pastor, did you see me last night? What I did? 
No, but have you seen what Jesus did? And righteousness, being righteous is not what you do. Righteousness is who you are. And so if you're born again and you're born again spirit, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the law was not made for you, Christian. What was the law made for? It was made for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners. Who's a sinner? Unbeliever, haven't accepted Jesus. A Christian is no longer a sinner. You may sin, but you're not a sinner. You're the righteousness of God. That, that you're In your head, you, don't, you haven't got hold of it yet, who you are. Ask somebody, do you know who you are? Well, if you're living in sin, you don't. For sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators... For sodomites, that's homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there's any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. And so the law is really made for an unbeliever. So what if, if an unbeliever tried to keep the law, what would the law do to him? It would drive him, it would condemn him, it would tell him you're worthy of death, you don't deserve this. And they're going to get on their knees and say, have mercy on me. God, have, be gracious to me. And they'll get saved. And so that's the purpose of the law. But once they get saved, guess what? They have, they have God's resources to live by on the inside. They have the Spirit of God on the inside. They have a new nature on the inside. You know in your new nature, you don't want to sin? Yeah. You, you know the old nature? You used to be a pig in your old nature. You love the mud. You love sin. You love going out in, in the 70s doing the... <laughs> and getting drunk and sleeping around. You, love, you loved all that because you were a pig. But when you got saved, that pig nature got taken out of you and a heart of a sheep got put in. Now I want to test if you're truly saved. I want you to go, bah. <laughs> See, you couldn't do that. It proves you're saved. Sheep, sheep hate the mud. They hate the mud. They may fall down, but they don't like that situation. You know, the miserable, most miserable person on the planet isn't an unbeliever. It's a believer living in bondage. So you have a new nature on the inside. You have the faith of God, the love of God. You have a new resource to live from. But you've got to know what's in there and tap into it. And so the Old Testament was glorious, but, it, but the New Testament's more glorious. Because the Old Testament just affected his body. But guess what? When you, when you get in the presence of God and you touch grace, it changes your spirit. It changes your identity. And so now it just lit up his face. But when you got saved, it lit up your spirit. You know, if you could see your spirit, it'd be all lit up. People say, well, what color will I be in heaven? Light. Be lit up like a light bulb. Skin tone is about a millimeter thick. But who you are is a spirit being. If you're born again, you're light in the Lord. Tell someone you're lit up. And tell someone you're glorious. You are glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. And so again, his face was shining. And so... So the Mo guess what? Moses was, was, was impacted not by the law, but by the presence of Jesus. 
Think about that. It wasn't the laws that he brought down the mountain that changed Moses. It was being in the presence of Jesus and beholding him that changed him. What's going to change you? Well, you trying to be a good person, you trying to read your Bible every day, you trying to pray enough, you trying to not, you know, love everybody. No, no, it's not going to be that. It's going to be by you just beholding Jesus, looking at him, beholding and beholding, beholding, and believing. You know, grace, under grace, you have a BB ministry. A BB ministry, yeah. The only thing you're called to do as a Christian is behold and believe. Behold the glory of Jesus and believe as he is, so am I. And if you behold him through the mirror of the word and see him as he is in his resurrected state, and you see through the word of God who he is and how he is, is he holy? Then behold him, look at him as holy, and now believe as he is, you're holy. Is he righteous? Behold it, believe it. Is he healed? Is he healthy? Behold, believe. Tell someone, be a BB. Because we're going to, next week, this is set up for next week. Next week's going to tell us that how are you going to, how are you going to be transformed into Christian? How are you going to be outwardly become more like Jesus? And we're going to see how simple it is. There's only three steps. I'm going to give you a little preview for next week. There's three steps to the victorious Christian walk. First one, write it down. Look at Jesus. Now, so it gets more complicated. Step two, keep looking at Jesus. Now, step three, keep on looking at Jesus. Do you need 12? Because as you behold and believe, as he is, so am I, the Holy Spirit manifests that transformation. And it's that simple. So we're going to find out that we're going to behold the glory of the Lord, like Moses did, and cause his face to shine. Well, what is the glory of the Lord? If I'm to behold the glory of Jesus, too many Christians are trying to behold the, the glory of themselves the law. Now, look at the glory of the Lord Jesus. So what's the glory of the Lord? What's God's glory? Well, that was Moses' question. God, I don't know what your glory is. Show me your glory. Look in Exodus 33, 18. Moses wanted to know God's glory. Exodus 33, 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, okay. And in the right, you know, he finishes out that chapter, gets into the next chapter. He says, okay, I'm going to show you. Here it is. Here it is. And then he put Moses in a cleft of a rock. He says, now I'm going to show it to you. And we're going to have a parade. And I'm going to parade before you, and I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to proclaim my glory to you. And Moses said, goody, 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 I can't wait. But he says, you can't see the fullness of the glory. I'm going to have to put my hand over there. I'll let you see my backsides. Under the law, they couldn't behold the face of God. Israel couldn't. But look in Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, okay, this is my glory. 
The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Do you know what the glory of God is? His mercy and grace and goodness. That's his great, his, 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 that's his glory. And it says, we're going to look next week, open, you know, attractions coming, that we are going to be transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his mercy, his grace, and his goodness. Amen. Who he is. And it'll change us. But I want you to see something. It says, which glory was passing away. Moses put a veil on his face to hide something from Israel. Well, pastor, I think it's because he came down and his face was glowing and it freaked out the Israelites. And so whenever he talked to him, talked to the Israelites, he put a veil so they couldn't get freaked out. No, actually, that's not the case. When he would come down the mountain, his face was shining. He was proud of it. And he would talk to the people and let them see the face shining. And then when it started, but the longer he stayed away from Jesus, the more it faded to where it just kind of went away. And so when he saw that it started to fade, that's when he put the veil over it. So they don't see that it was diminishing. I want you to see that. Look at Exodus 34, 29. Exodus 34, look at verse 29. When did he put the veil on? Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were all afraid to come near him. Well, obviously he was like, why are people afraid? Because your face is shining. Oh, Verse 31, then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses put on his veil. Oh, I'm sorry, no. Clueless translation. Moses talked with them with his fit. Well, he's still shining. He's talking with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near and he gave them all the commandments, all of the, that the Lord had spoken to with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put on the veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And then he would come down, speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded with the veil off of his face. And they would be, oh, Moses. And then all of a sudden it would start fading, and then he would put the veil on so they wouldn't see it starting to fade. Verse 35, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses... The, then, the, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until it went in to speak with him. The last verse, we're going to prove to you this was because it was fading away that he put it on. Go to verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Well, how is the ministry of the Spirit more glorious? Because it was temporary under Moses' day, but it's permanent under us. Our spirit stays lit. The, the Spirit of God is always causing our spirit to be glowing with the glory of God. It doesn't ever go away. Our soul can experience it more or less. Our body can experience it. But the more you behold Jesus, the more your soul and your spirit can experience what your spirit. Your spirit's going, oh, 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 all the time. 
Well, why don't I feel it? Because your spirit, you can't touch it with the five senses. <clears throat> but when you behold with your mind and your attention you fo- and you see Jesus and you keep focusing and worshiping him and receiving his goodness and his grace, your soul goes, oh. Why do you feel that way in worship? Because your soul is focused in beholding him instead of you. And you're going, oh, worship. And that will impact your body. Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more. Say much more. Grace always gives you much more. For the ministry of condemnation, you know the law is a ministry of condemnation. If you try to live under the law and you have to try to keep every commandment God's given you, all you're going to do is end up condemned. There's mo- most Christians live under condemnation. Why? Because they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not beholding Jesus, they're beholding themselves. Most Christians are navel gazers. They have their eyes on themselves. But God's called you to BB ministry. Behold and believe. Behold, believe. Okay, let's switch it up. Behold, believe. What am I beholding? Myself? No, I'm beholding Jesus as he is. His glory, his goodness, his grace, who he is. And then I'm to believe as he is, so am I. How do I appropriate that with your tongue? You know, the first time you dared say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you're like, that was uncomfortable. That was like taking a a shower of my socks on. That was uncomfortable. That's because your soul's not renewed. But the more you speak it and speak it and speak it, but you've got to behold it. As he is, so am I in this world. Behold and believe. Behold and believe. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds more in glory. Verse 10, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. You know, I love going out at night and looking, especially when I'm outside the city. Have you ever been out and seen the glory of all the stars? Orion and the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and the moon when it's out and it's shining. But then what happens when the sun comes? gone that's like the glory of the old testament to the glory you're walking in it's like you're walking in the sun and the glory of his presence for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excelled it verse 11 for if what was passing away was glorious what remains is much more glorious why did paul say For if what is passing away, why didn't he say what's passed away? Because when Paul wrote this, he wrote this in 55 A.D. Guess what was still operating at 55 A.D. in Jerusalem? The temple was still going. Sacrifices were still sacrificing. The priesthood was still going. He says it's passing away. 
And then a few years, it was destroyed, and God took it away. Because you know what? You have to have the temple and the sacrifices to keep the law. Because some of the law is you have to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, and offer sacrifices in that temple to keep the law. And God says, you know what? I'm going to make it so impossible that because I know some of my believers will still try to keep the law. I'm going to get away. I'm just going to totally take the temple out and totally make it impossible to keep my law. And that was taken away some years later. For if what is passing away was glorious, what is remaining is much more glorious. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Do you know when you understand that you're righteous, you're bold? Tell someone you're bold as a lion. You're not the cowardly lion. You're bold as a real lion. That's only if you understand you're righteous. But if you feel like you're guilty and condemned and in shame, you'll put a veil on. And when you put a veil on, your only way you can look is down upon yourself. And it shuts you up. A lot of Christians are out speaking today because they don't understand their righteousness in Christ. They feel condemned. Why should, why should I preach the gospel? I'm a sinner just like they are. Deceived. We use great boldness of speech. Verse 13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. He didn't want them to see the end of the glory passing away he put a veil on it so they wouldn't see it. You know, a lot of people walking around with veils today to try to hide the lack of glory that they're experiencing. Take the veil off, look at Jesus. So guys, if you're going to take anything away from today in your, in your to-go home box, is you have, one thing as a Christian, you have BB ministry. That's all you got to do. Behold, as he is, and believe, as he is, so am I. Just keep beholding, keep beholding, keep beholding, and what's in your spirit comes out. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the glory that's in our born-again spirit, Lord, that never goes away. But, Lord, we realize that for to experience that in our soul and body, Lord, we're going to have to behold and believe. And you say, well, Pastor, that just seems so simple today. I can do that. Well, you can't even do that in your own energy, but by the Spirit you can. And you can say, you know what? By the power of the Spirit of God, I'm going to behold and believe starting today. And if you say, that's me, I want to raise your hand. Father, I thank you that Today, Lord, we're not going to try to live by our willpower, but we're going to live by beholding and believing. And we tap into grace and tap into faith and tap into love and tap into your resources, that glory you put on the inside of us. And it's going to come out for other people to see it. And we'll become bold. We're not even going to try to become bold. We just, we're just bold without even trying. We thank you, Father, for the boldness that will come in this congregation. Well, I just need to have boldness to talk to that, to talk to my waitress. 
I got to work up boldness. No. It'll just come out and you'll end up just being bold. Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for your grace. Amen. I heard the Lord say, tell my people that they have fallen into a ring of fire. And I see you sitting, standing in a ring of fire. And the fire surrounds you. And there are wolves, vicious wolves, pushing up to the edge of the fire, growling, snarling, foaming at the mouth. And the Lord is saying that do not let the voice of the wicked one or the evil get you to step out of the ring of fire and out of my protection. All they can do is make a bunch of noise, says the Lord. But you have fallen into a ring of fire, therefore... Cast not away thy confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done, hallelujah, my will, you might receive the promise. Declare, hallelujah, declare the end from the beginning, and speak back, and talk smack to the wolves, and say, I am healed, I am whole, I am prosperous, and do not let go of your faith, and step out of that ring. They can gnarl, they can gnash their teeth, they can foam at their mouth, at their mouth, but you have fallen into a ring of fire, my love and my protection. Do not move off of your faith, says the Lord. So I love those words right there because your thoughts define me. You're my reality. Well, in Hebrews 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The reality is we have the kingdom of God on the inside of us. And if we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, if we'll fix our thoughts on who he says we are, no matter what the circumstances of life may look like, no matter what may be going on and around us in our world, what may be coming against us by the enemy, we can stand in that ring of fire. <laughs> we can stand in that all-consuming fire and let those things be burned up and release the faith that is within us to release the kingdom of God and let that become our true reality.